Welcome to the Mothman in the Bible Belt Podcast with your host, Buck Fantastic. The primary election is May 10th, y'all. Early voting is on its final week. Have you researched how the candidates voted? If they're not in public office already, have you looked into position statements as to where they stand on issues impacting you, your family, and community? Are you familiar with the kinds of money flowing into the candidates' campaigns? Activist slash blogger Jeremy Brannon recently dropped a killer article on this year's election and how supposed progressive political organizations, West Virginia Working Families Party, and West Virginia Can't Wait endorsed candidates voted on the environment, civil liberties, worker rights, and taxes the past two years. Brannon also details the corporate money these two organizations endorsed candidates took. The article is titled, West Virginia Progressive Sticky Situation, the 2022 Election. You can find it on Jeremy Brannon's Potty Post blog. A direct link to the article is embedded in this podcast episode's description box. On this week's episode of the Mothman the Bible Belt podcast, I'm dissecting Jeremy Brannon's elections critique article with special guest, Native American activist Seth Sturm. Sturm is the co-chair of the West Virginia Democratic Party's Indigenous Caucus. Seth thinks the Democratic Party can be rehabilitated. I think it's a lost cause. We agree to disagree. Join me, your host, Buck Fantastic, for another exciting episode of the Mothman in the Bible Belt podcast. Because voters should be informed before they hit the polls, and blue no matter who ain't cutting it anymore. Before we jump in on the 2022 election, I want to talk about the passing of beloved country music singer, songwriter, author, mental health advocate, and icon Naomi Judd. Judd's daughters, Winona and Ashley, released a statement saying she died of the disease of mental illness. Both of us get that she killed herself. She committed suicide. Naomi dealt with treatment-resistant severe depression for years. As part of the judge, she helped score the country mother and daughter duo 20 top 10 country hits such as Mama, He's Crazy, Grandpa, Tell Me About the Good Old Days, Turn It Loose, Have Mercy, and Love Can Build a Bridge, which the country music duo performed live on the CMT Awards three weeks ago. Naomi Judd co-wrote that song, and it's been covered by everyone from Cher, Chrissy Hind, and Nina Cherry to Westlife and even Britney Spears. If you or someone you know is suffering from severe depression and are suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or go to your nearest emergency room. Were you a fan of the judge, Seth? Personally, you know, not that much so, but my grandma used to love the judge, my white grandma. And she played them all the time. So I'm very familiar with the work. And so I guess also there's good memories associated with it too. Nostalgia. It was, I mean, that was one that was devastating because you never want to hear about someone losing their battle to mental illness. And then it's such an, you know, older age. It's really, really from, you know, tragic and, 
it's just unfortunate. And hopefully the people out there know that there's help. In many instances, as long as you can seek it out and admit that you need help, and uh, you know, that's the best thing that you can do if you're in that situation. You know, sometimes it feels helpless. I think we've all, a lot of us have been there, uh, and some people, it's, it's a lot harder to come out of it than you think, and it's not easy. So the struggle seek, is real. Seek the resources if you can, and if not, try to find someone um, who can help you find those resources. It tore me up. We had the Judd's music in our house growing up. I remember seeing Naomi on television a while back talking about how she overcame her depression. And I thought, you know, she triumphed over it. And apparently she did. No, I, that's one of the things, too. You never, I don't think you can ever really call yourself cured or completely over it. Yeah. So you have to be careful about being overly confident or projecting too much because, you know, things like these, this does happen. Um, as tragic as it is and something you always have to be on the lookout for, no matter how well you think someone's doing or how well you think you're doing, always be aware uh, that this is a possibility that you can backtrack and you can have setbacks and relapses because it is a chronic illness. It's not something that just goes away. I'm hearing promising treatment coming from magic mushrooms and ketamine. Well, actually, too, if you're if you go to Washington, D.C., uh, Initiative 81 allows for people to purchase psychedelic drugs through vendors that you can find online. If you got a little bit of time, you want to take a weekend to go to Washington, D.C., you can self-medicate till the cows come home with magic mushrooms if you so desire. Completely legally, uh, you'll be well within your rights. It's someplace comfortable. You know, if you get a nice hotel, it's something that, um, you know, give it a shot if you want to give it a shot because there's a lot of mounting evidence that it can be good. And, you know, they say that you're supposed to do it in a clinical setting and focus on your mental health, but I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. I can't say how you're supposed to do it. And, uh, if these resources are available and you live close to D.C. and you're struggling with depression, I think it's worth a shot, you know? But you probably shouldn't drive while using mushrooms. Oh, no. Get a hotel room. Do it responsibly. They're very intoxicating from my understanding. So don't mess around with drugs that will alter your state of mind without taking proper precautions to do it in a proper way. Well, we are on the second week of early voting. The primary is May 10th. Have you voted yet, Seth? I have not voted yet. I plan to go vote in person like a good Democrat should. You can vote early. You can vote absentee. I don't know. It's a lot. I don't think it's as easy as it was in 2020 to vote absentee, but I think it's uh, still quite doable. Very important that we get out there and get the vote out, even if there aren't a lot of candidates that you want to vote for. Vote for the ones that you can and just let your voice be heard in some fashion. What issues are bringing you to the polls this year? So for me, one of the reasons that I really can't just sit home and do nothing, I they are really pushing these anti-trans legislations through. The Republicans really want to do it. The Democrats have done a pretty good job of helping keep those things from actually getting to a vote. You know, I'm not saying that we have the best Democrats here by any stretch of the imagination, but these trans issues are so personal to me. And West Virginia has the highest per capita population of trans youth in the country. So this is really not a place for us to go trying to do these things that we're seeing uh, in other states, limiting people, trans rights. You know, they start with sports. They started with bathrooms. Now they're moving on to sports. They're chipping away at these at these institutions that, that are sacred um, to people and making it seem like trans folks pose, pose, a prop, pose a threat to those institutions, which they really don't. But that's kind of like their way to get in. And now they're advancing these things where it's like child abuse if you get gender reaffirming surgery or treatments for your child. So there's just this, you know, I hate to say the slippery slope, but there really is a slippery slope and it's kind of focused on trans youth. And right now that's the one thing that makes me say I can't sit at home and do nothing because there are so many at-risk youth in this state that really need 
to have people coming out there supporting them, fighting for them. And if we can just keep these bills from from coming each time, you know, whatever it is, harm reduction, we got to do our best to keep these things from coming to fruition in this state and, you know, costing lives because that's what's at stake. Trans kids are at the highest risk of, of suicide, of mental health crises. And so we need to do our best to protect them in this state considering we have we could really be ambassadors considering the number of trans kids that we have in the state. And, and I think that's what we need to be doing rather than attacking them and fighting these culture wars to uh, keep people riled up. We need to be teaching people how to live with each other, respect one another, and building a society that's more inclusive and more focused on how we do for each other rather than what we can do to fight each other and to be against one another. So that's but last year, but last year, the trans athlete bill did pass governor justice signed it um house bill 3293 he said he supported the fairness act which would help with non-discrimination against lgbt people in housing and also in employment but for him to sign this bill it's not saying that he's committed to fairness and equality in the state like i said this is the first this is their first thing that's to chip away at the rights of trans people. You go after something that society thinks is very important, sports. We have become really tied to our sports teams. This whole sports mentality infiltrates every level of our lives, even to the politics that we discuss day to day. It sounds like we're discussing sports teams a lot of times. So I think that that's the way to get in. And, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, sports to me, I don't care, but. I don't either. But the issue is that they're coming after trans people, and this is the way they do it. Okay, so now we're establishing that there is a difference between a biological female and a trans female, a biological male and a trans male. So you're setting up in the in the system for it to be in writing that these are two separate classes of people, and that makes it easier to chip away at rights in other areas. You know, one of the things that concerns me the most is what are we going to do to parents of trans youth who are doing the things that psychologists say that you should do? and treating their, their, whatever you call it, their transgender, um, you know, I don't wanna say disorder because that's not it, but you know, body dysmorphia, all these things that come along with it. One of the best treatments is gender reaffirming, uh, surgeries, hormones, all of those things. That helps them live longer. They live better lives because they're happier with themselves. And if you're gonna criminalize that and make parents out to be felons and child abusers, where does it go from there? What's gonna to happen to those kids? Um, we have all this discussion about conversion therapy in a lot of these in a lot of towns across the state this is this is that on a it's like state-sponsored conversion therapy of sorts because we're saying you can't be trans and we're going to make your parents criminals we're going to do well i don't know take you away put you into the foster care system for what for being who you are you know that's the antithesis of fairness that's the opposite of what we should be doing in this state it encourages bullying oh yeah absolutely yeah no, and, and that's the thing. So we have to do everything we can to, you know, so the, the sports bill is that they're starting to chip away at it. But where does it go from here? It clearly is going to become, like it is in other states, illegal to, to have these treatments. And that's what concerns me because then we're going to have so many people who are going to be faced with the option of either staying here and not getting their kids the treatment that they need or becoming political refugees of sorts and escaping the state going elsewhere. Last year, the West Virginia legislature created the Second Amendment Preservation Act with the passage of House Bill 
2694. It would prevent law enforcement from enforcing new federal gun crimes laws unless they already exist in state code. The lead sponsor is Republican Delegate Brandon Still. The West Virginia House voted 92 to 7, and in the state Senate it passed 34. Uh, West Virginia Working Families Party candidates to vote for this god-awful gun dereg bill include Senator Stephen Baldwin, Delegates Sean Fluharty, Joey Garcia, Chad Lovejoy, your homeboy Cody Thompson, Kayla Young, and Lisa Zukoff. Uh, West Virginia Can't Wait candidate Delegate Jim Barrick voted for it. Delegate Cody Thompson is also endorsed by West Virginia Can't Wait. With all the mass shootings taking place in our country at the moment, and even before the passage of House Bill 2694, do you think this adds to the problem of gun violence? So here's the thing. I think that we do have this situation in West Virginia where we have a lot of rural people. So the gun laws, as we see them on the federal level, sometimes don't make a lot of sense to us. But we have to remember is that a lot of these gun laws, like the ghost guns and these things that they're targeting now, aren't really going to affect people in their lifestyle here in West Virginia. You will still be able to conceal carry. You're still going to be able to have your hunting rifles and your shotguns. We have to remember what it is that these laws are trying to target. And most of the time, it isn't you and your sportsman uh, fantasies or whatever. You know, so. While I do support gun ownership, at the same time, we have to be cognizant of what's going on in other states and other cities where gun violence is becoming. It's know, the norm. Corrupt. It, it is. It's absolutely the norm. And it's becoming um, a plague in this country and something that we cannot ignore any longer because it's just so easy to get weapons. And so we do have to do something. And, you know, here's another thing is that you have to be careful, too, because when you have, um, we know, we just got medical marijuana in the state of West Virginia. And when you buy a gun, you have to say that you're not using marijuana. It's one of the questions. So if you get your medical marijuana card, you're not supposed to own a gun anyway in, this, in, in, any, in any system. So we have to be aware of the gun laws that we have. You know, we don't have limit, limitless freedoms with them as it is. And many people don't realize that. So I think that the politicians who voted for this, you know, it sounds great. States' rights, whatever. But we have to, we have to think about the fact that gun laws federal for a reason because you don't want someone from Pittsburgh to be able to just cross over into West Virginia, get all the weapons they need for the city and go back over across the border, you know, 45 minutes. We have to be able to think about other people other than who we are. And but there are ways to protect ourselves as well. So maybe that's what the intent of this bill was. I don't think that that's what the execution of it's going to be. I think a lot of people that voted on there, there is a an epidemic of cowardice in the West Virginia legislature. People a couple years ago, let's not forget, there was the push to um, limit abortion. And almost every Democrat voted for the Republican-sponsored legislation. And as Mike Pushkin put it, uh, whenever he voted for it, he said, I will not fall for your trap. I know what your trap is. You want me to vote against this so you can use it against me. So I'm going to vote for this terrible bill. And it's like, <laughs> that doesn't, doesn't make sense. You, can, you, you need to have the, the political fortitude to stand up to those bad bills. Yes to stand up to these people and to change minds. You can't just kowtow to every single individual that has an agenda or that will set you up for some Sarah Palin gotcha moment. you got to be smarter than that. A few months back, the West Virginia legislature passed Senate Bill 262, penalizing financial institutions like banks 
from divesting of fossil fuels. <laughs> the bill will allow the state treasurer's office to compile a list of banks that have publicly stated they are boycotting or not interested in working with fossil fuel companies. It also gives the West Virginia treasurer's office the authority not to enter into a contract with any banking institutions on the list. The bill was modeled after the anti-BDS legislation that passed the previous year. Both anti-BDS and anti-fossil fuels divestment banking bills are gaining momentum in state legislatures across the country. Seven West Virginia Working Families Party candidates voted for a Senate Bill 262, including delegates Larry Rowe, Lisa Zukoff, Chad Lugjoy, and Senators Mike Caputo, Richard Lindsay, Robert Beach, and Stephen Baldwin. This bill is going to hamper economic diversifications in this state. What's your thoughts on that? I think that it's clear what's happening in a lot of these things with um, with with our senators and our legislatures. Legislatures, you don't want to say they're corrupt, but to vote on something like that, it, and they they kind of have a voting. A lot of these people have voting records that are consistent with being in the pockets of industries. Why is it that it's okay to go after freedom of speech, whatever it's something, you know, if, it, if, if I'm going to use my speech to go after something you like, then it's okay for you to legislate that. But we're not allowed, and I'm not for legislating people's freedom of expression. I think that that's one of our fundamental rights in this country. And I, I really do believe that a lot of people think that, you know, especially nowadays, the censorship is good. You got Biden setting up this, um, just the, the, Minute, I don't even know what he's calling it, but within the Department of Justice to fight misinformation, that's scary because they're basically just openly propaganda in my mind. You can't always guarantee that our interests are going to align with the truth. So it's silly to, to have a government organization that says we're going to make sure that only the truth comes out because that's just never going to be the case. We know this. History has mm -hmm. shown that you can't trust the government to make those decisions. So we're headed down this 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 trail of people being um losing that freedom of expression and so when it comes to bds um fossil fuels israel whatever it is our power as consumers especially in a capitalist system like this is is our buying power so if we want to be able to boycott uh, an industry or a country uh that's that's our right that's what we need to do in order to affect change in this consumer-driven capitalist society that we've built up so to me, to legislate those things and to say, no, you can't do that. It's so clear that we're, we're losing those freedoms, those fundamental rights that we have that keep us free citizens and keep this country being what it was originally founded to be. And it's a slow process that people are allowing to happen. And they're even supporting these bills. You have so many Democrats who supported the anti-BDS legislation that it's, it makes me sad. And they should be more in line with what they claim to be which is that we are the ones who are you know in the 70s and the 60s it was the left who was the we were the anti-war activists we were the ones raising hell causing problems not shutting up and um now it seems to be that the left is the one telling everyone to shut up and we're going to be the ones to censor and that's the scariest thing to me because if we're not the ones fighting for it you know the right wing is it because they've been always been the ones to burn books and to keep people silenced and to, to try to control what information mm -hmm. they're allowed to have so I just see us slipping down this rabbit hole that I don't want to go down. And we have to all fight against it. We can't um, 
turn a blind eye or just because you don't like what someone's saying, don't, you know, you might not like them, but don't advocate for them to be silenced by an institution, whether, you know, like Donald Trump on Twitter. I don't like Donald Trump. He's not my guy, but I don't want Twitter being out there deciding which people we can, we can hear from and which ones we can't, because that's just setting it up for them to be the arbiters of information, which just leads to a, an ignorant populace that makes bad decisions. As previously mentioned last year, the West Virginia legislature passed House Bill 2933, the Anti-Discrimination Against Israel Act. It penalizes businesses that do $100,000 or more in business with the state who support BDS, a movement almost identical to the one that ended apartheid in South Africa. The Boycotts, Divestments, and Sanctions movement is about ending the occupation of Palestine by the Israeli government and stopping the home demolitions and land grabbing taking place at the hands of the Israeli government. Zionist political organizations like APAC have been lobbying this bill in Congress and state legislatures across the country. I was told Delegate Kayla Kessinger got a free trip to Israel by a Christian Zionist organization that led to her sponsoring the bill and advocating for it. 17 West Virginia Working Family Party candidates voted for the First Amendment disgrace, including delegates Sean Fleurty, Joey Garcia, Evan Hansen, Sean Hornbuckle, Chad Lovejoy, Mike Pushkin, your homeboy Cody Thompson, Danielle Walker, John Williams, Kayla Young, Lisa Zukoff, and Larry Rowe, and Senators Robert Beach, Richard Lindsay, Stephen Baldwin, Mike Caputo, William Allenfeld, who has since resigned that seat. Um, West Virginia can't wait candidate delegate Jim Barrick voted for the bill. My concern about the anti-First Amendment bill is that what happens when Americans can't participate in boycotts and protests of American businesses over their unsafe working conditions, union-busting efforts, or them contaminating their communities' air and water? Um, that's where I fear these bills going after them stopping the banks from divesting in fossil fuels and also stopping or trying their best to put a dent into American businesses that are trying to um, be a human rights advocates by participating in the BDS movement. What do you think is going to happen with these bills in the future if we continue to allow them to pass in state legislatures? For me, it's clear what's going to happen. We're going to keep, they're going to keep taking taking, taking. Everything that they do, in my mind, is a test. You see what you can get away with to continue taking. So we, we don't want consumers to be able to have any power. We want you to be, you know, not we, but the, the, the interests, the special interests, the boards of these uh, companies and the politicians that are controlled by them, they have a very specific agenda, and that's to maximize profit. They don't want us to be able to to mess with that based on their politics or their beliefs, they want us to just be consumers, to always be mindless in our purchases. So they want to legislate that power away from us. We don't want to have any, yeah, okay, so maybe you and I will always have the right to look at who's manufacturing what, who's in bed with whom, so that we can make those informed decisions. But until somebody at a higher level can make those purchasing decisions that really affect somebody's bottom line, you're not going to see a whole lot of progress. So as long as we're keeping people from doing that, you're keeping a lot of the momentum that people like us could garner to to wage this, I don't want to say war, but this this trying to fight for human rights, like in the in the case of Palestinians. 
you will have people who are living in an open-air prison in, in Gaza. And then the Palestinians who are living in Israeli cities are treated as second-class citizens. So there's this double human rights violation going on over there, but we turn a blind eye to it. And we, we, we just allow it to happen because I don't, I don't even know, um, you know, just because of political interests. And it blows my mind that these organizations are able to influence even the people who are supposed to be fighting for human rights, who are the ones who are supposed to be the ones with heart, the progressives are not even willing to stand up against this bill because it would be labeled anti-Semitism or as though you're against the Jewish people, which is just not the case. You're just for the Palestinians. And if being for Palestinian people means you're against Jewish people, then you've got your views on it. Not us who has the problem, it's you. And so this is the kind of way that we have to fight for hearts and minds. You know, I'm sure Mike Pushkin would say this is, is anti-Jewish. And I would love to have that debate with him. Because it's just not. This has nothing to do with being um, anti-Semitic in any way, shape, or form. This is just. And about- he's BFFs with Rabbi Victor Yurecki, who serves on the National Council of APAC. Right, absolutely. And I'm sure that, you know, you can make these justifications in your mind that you're not supporting um, apartheid or whatever. I don't know what it is. You know, you're trying to protect the, the Jewish people over there, which, sure, there's, um, you know, it's a volatile situation for them as well. But, you know, what they're doing in a lot of these instances, we're talking about war crimes. We're talking about crimes against humanity in general. We have to do something and stand for what's right. You know, we, we had the uh, Canadian Parliament declare what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, they declared it a genocide. Well, where are they on what's happening in Yemen? Where are they in what's happening in all of these other brown countries where we're helping wage these wars? So that's kind of, we've got to be more aware of, of what we're doing in um and uh, just own it. I don't exactly. Yeah, the BDS movement shouldn't end with Israel. It should also turn into something much larger, going after Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Turkey, a host of other human rights abusing countries that are doing unspeakable things to their people who um, we take for granted here our ability to exercise free speech to protest in some of these countries around the world doing that can get you jailed or killed and uh it's pretty fucked up you know and we have state-sponsored bds movement right now in russia we have sanctions we have cut them off from the global banking system we are waging an economic war against the russians which is our prerogative in this situation um, I'm not going to go against that necessarily, although I do think sanction wars are inhumane at, a, at the most basic level. But that's what we're doing, you know, because economic hardships or targeting that area has a major impact. That's how you get people to move with uh, a lot of times without direct violent conflict. So we need to be able to have that power as well. So anybody who supports these, these pieces of legislation that, that keep us from um, exercising that right really should be viewed as somebody that... Um, I don't want to say an enemy, but they're not necess- they're not for us. Um, who are they protecting? Whose rights are they putting above our own? And that's the kind of, if they're willing to do that for this special interest, and they're willing to do it for another one, whatever the case may be, as long as they think that it's going to help their political career. Because the only reason to support this legislation is because you think it would be politically dangerous to go against it, which is, it might be because you will have people who come against you. But like I said, that's where you've got to be able to to make your case. And if you really believe in something, be a good speaker. Make your case to the people and uh, win some hearts and minds over. Don't be a pushover who just does 
think is going to get you reelected because we don't need you in there unless you're going to do the good, do the right thing. Otherwise, you're like Joe Manchin getting the Democrats uh, the majority. It did no good. It absolutely no good. Another bill of contention passed during this year's first special session. The new core deal that reallocates ARPA money to pay the steel producer $315 million to set up shop in the state and gives them a huge fat tax write-off worth half their $2.7 billion investment in the state. Nucor, as many people know, have decades-long problems with air pollution. Senate Bill 1001 passed 91 to 2 in the House of Delegates and passed 30 to 1 in the state Senate. West Virginia Working Family Party candidates that voted for it include Delegates Sean Fluharty, Barbara Evans Fleshire, Chad Lovejoy, Larry Rowe, Michael Pushkin, Kayla Young, Cody Thompson, Joey Garcia, Evan Hansen, John Williams, Danielle Walker, Lisa Zukoff. On top of Senators Stephen Baldwin, Richard Lindsay, Mike Caputo, and Robert Beach. West Virginia can't wait. Candidate Jim Barrick voted for it. 800 jobs are expected to be created as a result of the bill's passage. My concern is the trade-off of more air pollution. And also, it's not very fair to smaller businesses recovering from the economic impact of uh, COVID-19. Will anything good come of this corporate welfare, Seth? One of the things that I hate the most, and I'm sure that people who know me know this, I hate when politicians say that we need to make ourselves more attractive to draw in outside business. Where is the effort put into making West Virginia thrive locally? We have maybe not the highest population, but you know, rather than trying to focus on drawing in business, let's focus on drawing in bright individuals to help people here develop their ideas and make an economy that's strong here. One of the things that I worry about the most is just how tied our economy is to fossil fuels. One of the reasons they don't want us to boycott it is because they know that we're heavily reliant on it. The entire towns are existing based on coal severance and the coal mines um, being in their backyard. So we have to figure out what to do because it's not, you know, I've always said this, it's not going to be the government who gets the guts to say, okay, coal mines are getting shut down. We cannot survive if we keep this up. It's going to be the coal barons who decide West Virginia coal isn't worth the cost of production. And they're just going to decide in relatively a year. We won't even see it coming in, in all likelihood. It'll be in a matter of just a couple of, of years, 18 months, a couple of years, I would guess, um, just based on like Consol Energy, how quickly they turned around to natural gas and sold off all of their coal interests and got out of it. Um, and it went to Murray up here. So it's not like we have these, it's, it's not like the industry is so rock solid that there's nothing that's ever going to, that, to put it in danger as long as we keep the government's hands out of it. This industry is dying. And until we are able to focus and build up new industries here in the state that, that prop up local people, we're not going to have a savior come in from out of state. These people here, you know, how much money are they spending per job in taxpayer dollars to get? And then you got the pollution on top of it. It just doesn't seem like a good deal. If you look at the Foxconn factory in Wisconsin there under Trump, they were touting that as one of the best things that's ever happened. That all fell through, and it cost taxpayers a lot of money. And uh, it was just a major debacle. We have to be careful when we get into bed with these people that 
we don't end up on the receiving end of the negative and they take all the positive. And that seems to be what we're, we're good at in West Virginia is giving away our resources, giving away our mineral rights to people from out of state to, um, to steal from us, basically. So we want to avoid that moving forward. So I don't think that these kind of plans, they seem good on paper. And you can go right out to your constituents and say, look at this. I helped create 800 jobs. I've brought in X amount of dollars into the state economy. Um, and that sounds good, but you know, what's the long-term cost of it? I think that you're going to see it's not as great as they sell it. Uh, and we could be doing better things locally um, as, as the legislators should is, is building up something here. I think that that's what we're missing if, when we have those discussions. So I don't think that we need to be making the state more attractive to businesses. I think we need to be making the state more attractive to individuals who would be willing to come to this place because we do have a lot of beauty. You, do, you know, and the other thing is, like, the, the people who are good here, a lot of them are really good people. You can find really wonderful people in West Virginia who will break, shatter the stereotypes that everybody has. So we want to build those people up. We want to draw people in like that who can make this state everything that it could be. Right now, we have people absolutely raping us, taking advantage of us, which keeps us from being that great thing. But we really have a lot of potential here. We have the new... Um, National Park. We're a relatively small state with a relatively small population that exists completely in Appalachia. It's beautiful here. The, the opportunities for tourism, especially if we had cleaner air and cleaner uh, places for people to visit that weren't absolutely toxic. It may, be, it may be if you could eat the fish out of the river when you came, <laughs> something like that, mm -hmm. you would draw more people in and you could have people actually stay because, my God, this place is wonderful when it's right. It's the problems that come along with the exploitation of our resources and our people that really destroy us. And we can overcome it if we had the right leadership. Okay. Another bill I want to talk about that died this session is Senate Bill 71, which, if passed, would have severely infringed upon local city ordinances. It would have prevented cities from raising the minimum wage and mandating that employers offer employees paid leave. Supposed LGBT rights organization Fairness West Virginia also stated it would allow conversion therapy bans to be null and void. The two cities with bans, Charleston and Morgantown, exempt religious clergy, the main practitioners. Right. Thanks, Andrew. Senate Bill 71 passed 22 to 11, and the state Senate, Senator Chandler Swope is the main sponsor. Do you think cities should be moving to pass their own minimum wage and paid leave ordinances while they're getting as good? Because my big concern is, you know, if they don't do this now, it's never going to happen. Yeah, no, we have to, don't we? I mean, the whole people, these people are the ones who say- I don't the think the states are going to do it. I don't think the state of West Virginia, I don't think the legislature has the balls to do it. No, they don't. And, and if the city can get it done, they need to get it done because you can't wait on anybody else to do it. And the fact that they're coming after these cities, telling them that what they can and can't do to me is, you know, these are the same people, aren't they, that say we fought the Civil War over states' what rights, not slavery. What is What right do they have to come in and tell a city, you can't make your own rules? You, the government of this city, the, the organization, the group of people that the citizens of this city have said, we allow to govern us because that's what a government is. It's a consent between the people and the organization, whatever it is, to be governed. Um, so if the people are okay with it and they're electing these people in to represent them and to do these things, 
what right does some outside force have to come in and say, well, you guys at this level can't do that. It's the same thing that they want to complain about. You know, it's just like the gun bill to bring it back around to the earlier thing. That's what they're trying to fight back against the federal government overstepping their bounds in their mind. It's the same idea. You can't have it both ways. Either you are against people overstepping and authority becoming uh, too centralized and forcing other people to uh, do their will. You can't be both that and um, supporting these other bills. They're the same thing. So you have to be consistent in your ideology. Otherwise, I believe that you're just a hypocrite. I think that you go based on what it is, you know, if it's your bill or, or if it's not. You have to be consistent in that view. Well, the thing because is, you need, you need $15 an hour. You need to make $15 an hour to make it in Charleston without government assistance. You need yeah. about 17 bucks an hour to make it in Morgantown without government assistance. What the state legislature is essentially saying is cities cannot enact ordinances that help people who are living paycheck to paycheck and are poor dig themselves out of their hole. That's well, and one, the, and, well, yeah, and you know, one of the other things is that these West Virginia politicians, when you talk about the federal minimum wages, they, they, it doesn't make sense to have a federal minimum wage for places like California and for places like West Virginia because the cost of living is so different. It's the same thing when you're talking about cities like Morgantown or Charleston or Huntington. It's 60 some thousand dollars. You have to make 60 some thousand dollars just to live in San Francisco. Right, right. So it's different everywhere. So, so you really kind of do have to look at this as a, well, each individual place is different, and you do have to look at the cost of living in these places to determine what a living wage should be. Because if we are, if you're not paying your citizens a living wage, you're creating a crisis, and it's a crisis of your own making because you know the cost. These are, this is data that is verifiable. It's not an abstract. People are able to get this information and base policy off of it, and that's what they should be doing. So, um, you know. It's not an ideological battle, I guess, at the end of the day. And I guess you shouldn't be so rigid in your ideological beliefs where this is one of the situations where, yes, this is what has to be done in order to make it so that people can live. And you don't end up, okay, so if you're worried about paying people too much in certain areas, well, you're right. You don't want to make it a blanket minimum wage across the state of West Virginia where we're paying people based upon the most expensive place to live. If what you're saying is like $17 an hour in Morgantown, do you want to pay people in um, Boone County who may not have that high of a cost of living? Is that the minimum wage? Which I think it is. But, you know, these are this is their argument. So you have to use their arguments against them. Last year, harm reduction got butchered on a state level after the legislature passed Senate Bill 334. The resulting law requires all harm reduction programs to be certified by the state and gain approval at the local level. It ends needs-based programs. HIV and hepatitis rates are rising in Kanawha and Cabell County. Senate Bill 33-4 passed 67 to 32 in the House and 27 to 7 in the state Senate. West Virginia Working Family Party candidates Senator Richard Lindsay and Stephen Baldwin voted for the bill. HIV and Hep C are expensive medical conditions to treat. Without insurance, Hep C cure pills cost about $25,000, and HIV meds can cost a West Virginian over $36,000 a year 
How do we slow the spread of these two diseases? I mean, the CDC calls for needs-based harm reduction, needle exchanges, but the legislature and Governor Justice won't support them. It's that thing that they have where you don't want to face the issue head on, right? They don't want to see the, uh, the needle exchange programs or kind of see how the sausage is made. They would rather have this kind of hidden away from society's eye and have these major health problems that, would, that affect communities explode because it's not as visible maybe. Maybe the people who are affected aren't as, um, as important to them as, as the other people. You know, whatever their determination is whenever they make these decisions, I can't say. But what I can say is that we, the, the hepatitis is a precursor to HIV outbreak. That's something that has been in the news for years now, that there's been an increase in hepatitis, um, especially in southern West Virginia, which is going to lead, because they're, they're intrinsically tied together and catching hepatitis is quicker than the AIDS and the HIV. So you have these epidemics that are festering that are going to pop up, and it's a public health crisis. So we need to be doing everything we can. And I know that you've got a lot of conservatives who get upset, but this again comes back to we need strong leaders able to to inform and change minds because you can't have weak people who just accept what they're saying and and give up you can't have people you have to have people willing to go out there and say this is necessary to save lives both in the immediate and in the long term the benefits are great for us as a society and here's why and you have to be able to sell that message and I don't know how to do that. I can't say that it's easily done, but I know that it must be done because otherwise it leads to this political cowardice we talked about where people will just not vote for it, where, where they like, you know, these people who have turned their back on these harm reduction programs because it's the politically expedient thing to do. And people, again, are going to die because of this. There's a human cost to every decision that they make, and not enough people yep. are, are holding their feet to the fire and saying, you're killing people. You know, Cody Thompson and, and those people want to call the cops on me because I'm too mean. I've never voted for anything that's going to kill people. I didn't push through legislation that deregulates uh, nuclear that's just going to pollute and kill some of the most vulnerable Appalachians. I didn't do that. But there's Cody nobody did. calling. Right. You, there's nobody calling the cops on you. How many lives are going to be lost over the next 150, 200 years based on your policy? So we have to be way more present in our thoughts in the consequences of every single vote that we take and i just don't think that people are doing that right now and because we need those harm reduction how many people have lost someone uh to uh you know to disease um i know somebody that died they got septic from the dirty needles there are so many other things that come along with with drug use that we can help prevent the deaths of many individuals and you know to, why aren't we doing it because somebody feels that it's morally wrong to enable somebody who's using drugs. Well, is that less wrong than letting someone die a horrible death or spread disease in our communities because you don't like to think about it? It's not a win-win situation for anyone involved. No, you know? no, it's not. I don't see why the state. I don't see why the state isn't finding a pot of money to give the health departments to have someone on staff go and pick up needles if they do see the litter somewhere. And there needs to be more um, sharps containers everywhere, and we need them right. everywhere. 
Right, and, and you know, honestly, that will prevent a lot of a lot of that litter. Right, no, that litter is so dangerous because kids and pets, and they don't always cap them. You get just needles sticking out, and they're a real hazard to people. Like I said, you can get sepsis, you can get any blood-borne disease that's attached to those needles. We have a real public health crisis on our hands, and burying your head in the sand and wanting it to go away isn't going to do a thing. We have to address it head-on. We have to have these. These programs are proven to work. You know, the numbers don't lie. Just because you don't like it or because you think it looks, you know, I, I know that in, um, you know, you go to some of these places in like Baltimore and uh, you know the cities where they have these sharks containers in every bathroom, and it's hey, you know what? It's not just for druggies. You got people who use insulin needles or other <laughs> things where they might dispose of them. It's just smart to have these things around that keep people safe. You know, forget the stigma that goes along with it. Just look at this as another measure to help keep you and your family safe. You know, the messaging is what's important. They're too focused on the junkies or whatever it is and vilifying people. And instead of people need to be saying, no, this is going to help keep your family safe as well. You know, maybe you don't care about the, the people on drugs. And, you know, I can't make somebody care about somebody else. But I can explain to you how this program is going to benefit you and your family, the people you do care about. And yeah, one of the side one of the side benefits is other people would benefit as well, because when society benefits, uh, you know, it, it the people that it affects are great. The big bad about getting rid of the needs based program is it directly impacts homeless people. In Charleston, you got a lot of homeless people who are IV drug users, and they were participating in the Kanawha Charleston Health Department's harm reduction program. But because it was one for one, people were stealing their needles. And theft is common amongst homeless people in cities, whether it's Charleston, anywhere. But I mean, if you're someone that's an active user, that's a that's a that's a huge barrier. A huge barrier. And it's just gonna result in an uptick. Again, an HIV, hepatitis C, and God knows what else. It is tragic beyond words in many ways because we could do things that prevent this. The people in charge could decide to take action. And we're sitting here um, kind of debating whether or not it could even they, – they debate whether or not it could be done, should be done. And uh, they have all these abstract ideas when you know, people are dying. That's kind of the most important thing to me. And, you know, it's like you think it doesn't affect you, but I promise you it does. It Every, affects taxpayers. Yes, absolutely. So even if there's you a don't price care, tag involved to this. Yep, exactly. We're all paying for it. Right. So find a reason to care is my point. There is a reason for you to care. You just got to find it. Even if you don't care about the individual, you've got to care about some other aspect of this crisis because it affects everybody in some way. This year, the West Virginia legislature ended the ban on nuclear power plants. Senate Bill 4 gutted existing state code on nuclear power plant regulations and their waste. Nine West Virginia Working Family Party candidates voted for Senate Bill 4. Delegates Sean Fluharty, Joey Garcia, Michael Pushkin, Cody Thompson, Kayla Young, and Lisa Zukoff, and Senators Owens Brown, Richard Lindsay, and Stephen Baldwin. West Virginia can't wait endorsed candidate Delegate Jim Barrick voted for it. Delegate Kayla Young sponsored the House version, uh, House Bill 2882, with the Russian military currently tracking radiation from Chernobyl, 
across Ukraine. Does the passage of Senate Bill 4 concern you? It concerns me greatly. This is one of those bills that a lot of people on, they just, it sounds good to get away from fossil fuels and nuclear is clean. I mean, how many times have we heard that lie? But we have mm -hmm. seen that, you know, they took away some of the, I think one of the, the regulations that we had in place to keep this, you know, it wasn't necessarily a ban on nuclear power plants. It was that nuclear power plants couldn't be built so long as these certain conditions weren't met, which, mm -hmm. you know, based on the way that nuclear power works, these conditions could never be. So they gutted that. So what we're going to see is that there's going to be higher pollution. There's going to be higher cost on consumers and all under this guise of, of clean energy. And there's better alternatives and just the risk that you're going to pose. You know, you can't guarantee me that this is never going to come back and bite us in the next however long the half-life of the uh, DEP can't regulate shit. That's a big problem here. Right, right. You know, you get, we there's no way, at least right now, you know, we're working on fusion and uh, I'm invest I said I think I said this in the last time. I'm invested in a company called LPP Fusion that's working on a process that supposedly has zero nuclear waste. It means nuclear power with no nuclear waste. Um, way people way smarter than me have are working on it. And in places like China, they have much bigger companies that are really close. So it's possible that in the future we could have something that's viable. But right now, what they passed is just something that uh, is a giveaway to, like, again, more special interests, more, um, more people that aren't local. They're doing things, again, that exploit us and put us in danger to make money for someone else and to get these immediate wins, to get these things that they say, look what we did. And can convince voters to vote for them based on something that you know 20 years down the road we might say oh that was a bad bill. that was something we shouldn't have done which is more than likely going to be the case here so we again get caught up in these short you know we're myopic we see what's immediately in front of us and hey this is a good bill you know this is a bill i want to support a lot of these people just i don't think that there's a lot of thinking behind it some of them i some of them are definitely corrupt i believe that 100 percent. some of them just they don't think not in the way um that we would in terms of what the long-term consequences are they think oh this is okay and it will help get me votes and then you know i'll make changes down the road I'll, I'll, I'll strengthen up some regulations and make it okay you know i'm sure some people believe that i don't know these people's hearts or minds i just know what the end result of their votes is so that's yeah. that's my concern and, you know, i don't know what their heart is i don't know maybe cody thompson really truly believes that this is the way to get uh, out of fossil fuels as he's saving us all. <laughs> But, uh, you know, one of the things, too, is that people need to understand, you know, I'm in the Indigenous Caucus, I'm Navajo, and uranium mining um, in, the, in the 20th century just absolutely contaminated our land out there. And people are still suffering the consequences now. There are places that are too radioactive to go. The dust from the mines still gets stirred up. And um, there's, a, there's an epidemic of cancers in these places because there's, even like local foraging, there's this plant that grows that that my people have used as a traditional, you know, they steep the leaves and make a tea out of it. They use so much of it that um, it's all covered in radioactive dust now. It's just ever since they did the uranium mining. So there's this epidemic of health issues that have arisen. And they stopped mining back in the uh, decades, decades and decades ago, but the, the issues still continue on. So this is what we have to think of. The short term is that, okay, maybe we get some alternatives to uh, coal-powered, you know, power plants. 
but where are we going to be in 50 100 years what kind of pollution are our or thousands of years yeah uh, no because this stuff doesn't go away so where will we be then and uh, what are we going to future generations for these winds right now it's crazy to me that we don't have the foresight to say maybe it's not a good idea you know we're on the precipice of brand new technologies in terms of i mean hell there's even new batteries that are increasing the the ability for us to store energy so we have all of these things in the in the near term that are that are really promising that could revolutionize things in the next 10 15 years so we need to be focused on everything that we can because nuclear is not going to happen fast enough to mitigate climate change it's not it takes 10 years it. right it takes so a year to get that application approved right no we're going to we're going to have alternative solutions that aren't nuclear by the time they could even really make a dent in what the coal power plants are going in my opinion i just think that we're going to see that those technologies increase over the next few years i think it's just inevitable so i think it's like i said short-sighted not a good plan it's going to cost people a lot of damage it's going to cost money cost lives and i don't see the benefit of it i think that um it was a bad bill and those people that voted for it i wish and hope that they've reconsidered and that they would um, you know not do the same thing again but i'm afraid that they that they would and uh you know, that's where the citizens come in that's where it comes in for you to call those people and say i don't like that i don't like the risk that you're putting on my kids my grandkids their kids in the future i don't want i don't like that and you need to make it forceful and it needs to be in numbers that they can't ignore because so many times they get away with things because we're just not paying attention and like i said a lot of these people did it because it was politically expedient and the thing that they did to get votes so if they don't think they're going to get votes from it they're not going to do it a lot of these people are not ideologically pure they just want to win so it's your responsibility it's my responsibility to make sure we hold their feet to the fire hold them accountable and make them do what we want them to do i mean that's kind of our duty as uh, citizens when dealing with these politicians don't get and you know the worshiping that goes on like i criticized danielle walker and you would have thought that i was in the kkk i mean it was crazy i only asked her to to say something on the indigenous caucus because in june of 2021 she mentioned the indigenous caucus should have a seat at the table and her buddy cody thompson helped uh disenfranchise us helped keep us from having any say in anything that happened isn't the he supposed to be native american well, yeah, other than his Native American ancestry, um, that he's very proud of, by the way. That uh, but he doesn't look remotely Native American. He's not Native American. He told me he could send, he would send an ancestry DNA test, and then said that they deleted his test and that he doesn't owe me any explanations and all of this, you know. But publicly, see, this is the thing you got to watch with Cody Thompson. Too. Publicly, he'll say one thing. He'll say, "I'll show you my test," so that everybody thinks, "Oh, he's got a test," and then privately, he'll walk away and block. Just the same way he told you, I'll come on your show and tell you all the ways that's the liar and a uh, piece of it. And, yeah, he's uh, still saying, I didn't take corporate money. The motherfucker took $2,500 in corporate cash. West right. Virginia can't wait. They endorsed him twice. He did it the first time. They said nothing. This time, crickets. Right. You know, it, It's crazy to me that what is the point of having a pack or a group? I don't even know what they consider themselves nowadays. Where you support candidates who do not take corporate money if the candidates you support are taking corporate money support everybody I, what are you even doing if people can't trust your organization you lose your ability to influence and right now yeah people aren't really paying attention but if they keep this up eventually your reputation is going to take a hit because things are not always popular 
Um, there are highs and there are lows. And right now, yeah, West Virginia Can't Wait may have all of these people fooled into thinking that they're this great grassroots organization. It's really out there pushing uh, progressive candidates to the next level. But the truth is going to come out. And they're going to start seeing that the people they're endorsing just to get wins aren't actually doing the things that they're pledging to do with them. And, well, what's the good, what, how can, if the thing that makes you want to support them is that they don't take corporate money, but then you find out all of these people are taking corporate money, why do you still support them? How can you trust that their candidates are they're not are with their platform. Right. So this, this year, is, this year, West Virginia Can't Wait gave $80,000 to 40 hometown heroes to buy support, you know. Yep. Just like the way the coal industry buys support by giving to politicians, churches, schools, blah, blah, blah. They could have gave that money to their damn candidates. Instead, all they gave their candidates was $250. That's the equivalent to thoughts and prayers. Useless. Well, as you know, the other thing is that when these candidates win, West Virginia can't wait says, we did that. We facilitated that win. Come join us. Look at all the winners we got. And if you lose, exactly, you didn't exist. From what they're I hear, not, they don't do a whole lot for their candidates. All they no, do is piggyback off of their fame. Exactly. So if you win, they take credit and they say, yes, this is our candidate. This is what West Virginia can't wait does. And if you don't win, they're not out any money because they didn't really do anything to support you. And so they just kind of act like you never existed. And they move on to the next person that they can latch on to. Because if you ask me, and this is just my opinion, uh, it is not fact-based. I do not want to be sued over this, Stephen Smith. West Virginia Can't Wait is just PR for Stephen Smith. It's let's make Stephen Smith be no the most shit. popular guy. Let's let him be the governor. And I got news for you. Stephen Smith is not going to be the Republican because if you've got two pasty, boring white guys, why wouldn't you just vote for the Republican? We need somebody fresh and interesting. That, you know what? I'm sorry. That doesn't look like Stephen Smith or Carlos Ben Salango and looks like, you know, uh, Marianne Clater, you know, somebody just completely off the wall. Two West Virginia can't wait endorsed candidates took corporate money this election cycle. Eight candidates took corporate money during the 2020 election cycle that the organization endorsed. Again, one of those people is Delegate Cody Thompson. He took $1,000 from Arch Pack, a coal pack, $500 from the West Virginia Beer Wholesalers Pack. $500 from the law pack and $500 from American Electric Power. The other candidate, Junior Wolf, he accepted $250 from Valley Point Farmers Feed and $250 from the law pack. West Virginia Can't Wait are still insisting their candidates aren't taking corporate money. Now, not all their candidates are taking corporate money, but um, corporate money does have an undue influence in politics it does i'll tell you one thing though that's really um you know it's it's kind of a fun anecdote here um marianne clater's campaign in 2016 we took a thousand dollars from the country road pack or maybe it's 500 but we had to fight very very hard to get that money and it was why would she want joe mansion money because we wanted to spend joe mansion's money see some people, that's not, that's not the norm though. People want Joe Manchin's money because they want his money and then they'll kiss his ass to get more money. This was, you know, in this instance, we were very, very excited to get Joe Manchin's money, to spend Joe Manchin's money with our anti-Joe Manchin message because it took a lot of um, 
calls from people, you know, saying, why aren't you giving this Democrat money? You gave all these other Democrats money. It took, we got it a week before the election. So that was a little victory for us. That being said, you're not wrong. These people who get these donations and then say they're not taking corporate money, they take the voter for a fool. Cody Thompson, you can watch his Sierra, what is it, Sierra Club uh, grade go from like the 80s down to the 50s and maybe even the 40s now. And then he's taking coal pack money. Well, huh, do those two things, are those, is that a correlation? <laughs> you know, is that something that is uh, directly tied together? Is he taking this money and now being softer on these bills because it, helps him win. These are the things that we have to look at. These are the things that people have to start questioning. And if somebody's willing to do that, you know, you got to either hold them so accountable that they don't make that mistake twice. You've got to scare them into thinking their position is on the line. They won't get reelected if they're going to keep doing this stuff. The people have to be vocal about standing up against it. And that's like, even then, you only maybe have a chance. You know, if somebody's doing this, you really need to take a look at them and say, is there no alternative? Is there nobody out there who has integrity all the way through that we're not going to have these issues come up where they campaign on one thing, get somebody like Paula Swearingen to endorse them, somebody who's always fought for clean water. That's how she gets even on the national stage in the first place. You're going to take that endorsement and then turn around and start taking coal pack money and bashing her and voting for these coal interests that put people in danger and pollute and uh, cause disease. It doesn't, it doesn't jive with what they're saying. It doesn't match the rhetoric. And that's the kind of thing that makes, should make somebody question whether that person can be an honest representative and represent the interests of you. Many people involved in West Virginia Working Families Party, West Virginia Can't Wait, and Charleston Can't Wait, were really pissy with Mayor Amy Goodwin over her lackluster response to police brutality, homelessness, and how she's dealing with a drug epidemic globally. She signed off on Charleston City Council further criminalizing harm reduction last year after the legislature mandated that all harm reduction programs be certified by the state and also be approved by the cities themselves. West Virginia Working Families Party endorsed her. Charleston can't wait, refused to endorse anyone for Mayor Charleston while endorsing several candidates for city council. Martise Washington is primarying Amy Goodwin. He's more in line with both political organizations' values. Is it troublesome that they aren't helping people who could do a world of good for people in Charleston, especially people who want to see a more economically diverse, less drugged up? capital city it's that same group of democrats who always go on about electability and it's that same political cowardice that we talked about that keeps people from standing up when they need to that keeps them from in this instance endorsing when they need to to take a stand in a race and say we've got a candidate who could actually make some changes that are good we have a candidate who has proven to be ineffective and who goes back on her campaign promises. But because they think Amy Goodwin will likely win, which is their, you know, based upon probably money and, and the fact that she's an incumbent. Martise Washington helped 
the West Virginia Working Families Party, and also Charleston Can't Wait candidates, you know, campaign. It's just really, it's really fucked up that they're doing that to him because he's been an ally to these people. He's been there for these people. He showed up for these people, and they're not showing up for him. Well, now you got to look at it this way, too. Maybe you look at it like this, that he is showing support to candidates he believes in. And in the process, he's staying true to the organization, which, you know, you can make an argument either here nor there. But right now, he uh, might consider the fact that he needs their help, and maybe he doesn't quite share the same view that we have because, you know, maybe he just doesn't see it the same way that we do or... Maybe they're treating him nicer in private conversation. I don't know what his reasoning was. But I think that ultimately you could support people on that ticket, you know, people who take on the West Virginia Can't Wait banner without supporting the organization as a whole. And like say one of the things that bothers me the most is these these candidates who may have been good. Like uh um I know Martise is still out there rallying with the can't wait people, which is whatever, okay. You could say that banner is is not necessarily. Like, it bothers me that they're going to go out there and all these people that have taken on that name of West Virginia can't wait. If their race goes a certain way, even if they didn't help them, they're going to take credit for it. And that's what bothers me is I feel like you're taking away from candidates who may be working very very hard. Um, and I just think that we need to boost those people up more. And so yeah, I think that there are some people running for West Virginia under West Virginia can't wait who are good people who would make decent representatives and, you know, decent beats the hell out of what we got in there a lot of times. So mm -hmm. that's kind of, you know, I don't necessarily hate on everything West Virginia can't wait other than the people at the top and the fact that I do view it as, um, like I said, it's PR for Stephen Smith. I don't think they do what they could to help candidates. Uh, it made me like, I got a newspaper up here. You know, we get this something called Marion times goes into everybody's mailbox. And in this paper, the front page is Stephen Smith with a giant publisher's clearinghouse size check for $2,000 to these hometown heroes. And I'm like, okay, listen, $2,000. Yeah, right. But the other thing is like $2,000 isn't that much money, but it is, you know? So, but the other thing is like, how much do those checks, those big fake checks cost to, uh, to draw up, to get them printed up for all of these events? It's just so much waste for the show for the Stephen Smith show, for him to run around and be this person that he wants to be and to create this persona that he hopes will win elections. So I don't like that at all. I, that bothers me to no end. And I wish that people wouldn't run on West Virginia Can't Wait and that they could just be themselves and run and uh, make a difference that way. I think that they have more power than they give themselves credit for. I think that they could win elections on their own and, like, I would love to see it if Martise were to do it all on his own, not give West Virginia can't wait any credit and, and actually win this thing, because that would be the biggest message you could send to the activist world, to the establishment Democrat world, to the population of Charleston. It would just be a beautiful thing to see. And I don't want to see, um, you know, I'll take him winning and West Virginia can't wait taking the credit for it, because I, do, I don't believe Amy Goodwin is a good, I, I'm not in Charleston. But, you know, I, most of my friends are in Charleston somehow. And I'm telling you, I just don't care for what I've heard. I think that she, you know, somebody like Martise could really do some good because Amy is clearly, you know, she's, she's a rich white lady. Let's be real. And so she has these connections and these They removed benches from the transit mall. All we have is swinging 
all we have is like swinging seats. So anti mall now. So they're focusing I mean, on anti homeless infrastructure now to make it so that you, you like to get rid of the eyes. They can't the lawyer. Right, right. You don't want to give them them a comfortable place where they could rest because that could create a, a problem for for the citizens to see homeless people. And you know, one of the things we don't want is for people to see them. Again, it's that whole thing where out of sight, out of mind, but you're causing more harm than, than anything by trying to create this false sense of um, security for people. You know, they, oh, there's no homeless people, but there are, and we should care about them, and we should do more for them. And, and the problem with homelessness, is not the, way. the problem with homelessness locally is that you got three high barrier homeless shelters. You can't go there lit. You can't go, you can't go to any of them lit. You can't, I mean, a lot of people who have severe mental health and substance abuse problems, they can't function in these places. And that's why you have a lot of people on the street. There's discussion about creating a new low barrier shelter that the uh, Religious Coalition for Community Renewal, uh, they applied for ARPA money for. And you got a lot of drawback from a lot of NIMBYs around here who are like vehemently opposed to it. And it's like, what options do you have? You got all these high barrier shelters. And if you want to get people off the street, the first step is getting them to a shelter and connecting them with services. And right now, the three providers that exist in Charleston, you can't do that. Sojourners is the Studio 54 homeless shelters. Uh, Rourke Sullivan's Gilton Center is infested with bed bugs. You have to attend numerous religious services if you want to stay at the Union Missions Crossroads Shelter, and it's a real, it's a real bitch for people. I mean, these these are these are very real hurdles for many people, and um, they know Amy Goodwin knows about this. The homeless service provider world around here knows about this. The press won't report on it. I wrote an op-ed, you know, a few weeks ago and it got gutted you know about details about the shelter and it's really sickening you know and the fact that you know they're removing the benches they're not making westward they're not making the capital city as hospitable as it used to be i mean she's just continuing what danny jones did and he started removing benches a few years back you know it's just fucked up i mean we're not inclusive as we claim to be if you're not as inclusive, you know, you can put all the fancy art shit what she's doing up. You can beautify the city all you want. But if you remove benches and you create all these barriers to helping people in need and you're not kicking up your feet trying to. I mean, there's no talk about inclusionary zoning. There's no talk about community land trusts. There's no talk about raising the minimum wage. It's all about let's police the fucking problem. It's fucked up. It always is. And, you know, to kind of put it up here, this is a this is a problem across the country, across the state up here, because I've been involved in this Owens-Brown race. There's this um, Wheeling Inn. It's this place up here in Wheeling that that operates kind of as a, as a low barrier homeless shelter where they take in, uh, there's a lot of elderly people who end up there for weeks, sometimes months at a time through the Homeless Coalition. They, they, they put them up there. And this place has been really good about allowing it. And the police and the city planner want to declare this place a public nuisance, have it tore down and do some zoning and some development for small businesses. And um, to me, it's like they're doing good. 
they're doing good things. And the police are actually inflating the numbers of crimes. They're saying that over the past two years, there have been over 300 calls. Turns out that over 100 of those calls were traffic, like uh, parking tickets in front of the building. They weren't real crimes being committed there. And so what is it about, you know, why do these people in charge want to take away everything that could be useful to those that are marginalized in this state? Homeless people, they're at the most risk of disease, overdose. I mean, everything that it's just so dangerous to not be housed and to be in that situation. And we should be doing everything we can to, to actually fix the problem and get them housed. And, and you know, if they want it, if, if whatever it is that we can do to help them in the, in, within boundaries that they want, um, that's what we need to be doing. And so um, yeah, it's really, it's disgusting whenever you have people like Amy Goodwin who want to ignore the homeless problem and get rid of them. Like up here in Fairmont, we had a, there's this bridge where there was a nice big camp under the bridge. The, the people were safe there. They had tents. It was a little bit of trash, but they kept pretty clean after themselves. And then, you know, one day the city came in, threw everybody out, threw everything away, put up fencing around this area. And, and uh, now there's all this, this uh, erosion happening there from, you know, I guess where they had built a tent and, you know, now that's just, it's getting all washed away. Um, I don't know if they were there making drainage or what, making it better, but there's, there seems to be a problem being created from the cleanup. Is yeah, encampment sweeps are a problem in Charleston as well. Yeah, and it's just like, okay, so now we don't see them, but they also don't have the protection. Like, the bridge gave them shelter. They were together. They had um, and protection, too, because you have the bridge up behind you. You can see what's around you. There's not – it's dangerous to be outside all the time. There are things that uh, – there are people, there are animals, there are, are elements that will get you. So this was a place that was relatively protected. And that they could go because, like you said, there's high barrier places here. We have the Union Mission in Fairmont as well, but you know, a lot of people aren't going to go to the religious services, and they don't even have that many beds compared to how many people are homeless. Which is a huge problem. And there was this encampment, and now it's gone. And you know, these people are just pushed out into the woods outside of town. It's not fixed. They're just in a more dangerous situation, away from uh, civilization and away from help if they need it. For what? So that. People of Fairmont don't have to know they exist. I don't. You're 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 just hiding the problem. You're not solving anything, and you're creating issues further down the road. And I don't understand why no one wants to take care of the actual problem rather than just kicking that can down the road and getting it out of sight, out of mind. It's the yeah. easiest, cheapest thing. You know, I, I I just don't get it. It's lazy thinking, and it's that political cowardice. You know, Amy's a coward in my mind because she's not doing what she should, what she campaigned on. And, you know, and it's honestly, it's a shame that it's even questionable if Martise is going to be able to beat her just because she has that name recognition and that money when she's not a great mayor. She's not even a good mayor. The Blue Green Alliance has been running ads with labor leaders begging Senator Joe Manchin to support an unnamed infrastructure package to help create jobs. The way they talk, it's like build back better. I think we both know he's not going to move on jack shit. Do you think these ads are helping move him on a big infrastructure jobs package, or do you think these folks are wasting their breath? I don't think Manchin's going to move on squat unless they threaten I, to pull their support and pack money, to be quite honest. Those ads aren't... I think you never convinced me those ads are for Joe Manchin. Those ads are for the people of West Virginia. 
They want to convert people over to to be say, telling Joe Manchin those same things. So any ad like that, they're they're trying to win over the people of West Virginia, which in a way I support as long as the message is good. I mean, I, until we get money out of politics, we have to take the help that we can get. We should. I wish there were. I, we need more allies in the fight to fight corruption that have money. And as crazy as that is, money is what wins elections. Money makes this everything operate. It's the it's the lube that keeps the engine running, you know. So we need to find some way to fund these oppositions to these people. And like I said, in West Virginia, I think, like I said, we got a unique opportunity in that these parties, both of them, they're not they're not extremely well put together. West Virginia, for all of its uh, money that we extract and for how much money we sit on in terms of natural resources, which is not as well funded as other places, there is a prime opportunity here for people to do it with less money, I think. But it's going to take real organizers. It's got to be one or the other. You have I anything know, else you want to say? Uh, yeah, fuck Cody Thompson. Okay. Uh, fuck Casper Gomez and fuck the fucking Diaz brothers. If you are a registered independent, mountain partier, or libertarian and feel all the candidates running suck, you still have time to run for the state legislature, mayor, city council, county commission, and congress in the general election. I want to thank my most excellent special guest, Seth Sturm. He's the one that nudged me to create this podcast and has been a vocal supporter from the beginning. This is likely going to be my last episode dealing with West Virginia politics. Most West Virginians turn a blind eye to the environment, workplace safety, union rights, LGBT rights, choice, many think black lives matter is an assault on the cops, economic diversification isn't high up on the totem pole of priorities for many West Virginians, but bringing back coal is. I think that's a sorry mindset to have. I'm forward thinking. I think a more evolved, economically prosperous West Virginia is possible, but it's never going to happen as long as labor and these phony progressive activists and political organizations are keeping the bar low. It ingrains it into West Virginians' heads that we must make unnecessary concessions to have a fully functioning democracy just so some bottom-feeding activists can raise their profile, social climb, and inner politics in the state. That is keeping West Virginia very poor. You can find Mothman in the Bible Belt podcast outlet updates, guest bios, and links to social media on mothmaninthebiblebelt.com. Thanks for listening.